I don't know if you've already had your Christmas. We had our Christmas uh, late last night, and uh, I've had various experiences at Christmas time. I've had the opportunity to experience the Jamaica Christmas. Any people from Jamaica here this morning? Or the Caribbean, with ackee and saltfish around the table, with the hot sun outside. Uh, I've also experienced the Nigerian Christmas. Any Nigerians here this morning? And that's not strictly in Nigeria, but that's in Birmingham, where all of our relatives are. Uh, another place called Nigeria there. Uh, in Spain, not amongst Spanish-speaking people, but amongst my dad. My dad is in Spain, and uh, we had uh, Yorkshire puddings and gravy in Spain, Spanish style. And then one of my favorite, uh, in the Northeast for 18 years, uh, we had Christmas. And one of my great passions, apart from the gifts that you would hang out with people, would be the Yorkshire puddings. Anybody love Yorkshire puddings? And as a child, I loved Yorkshire puddings, and in fact, uh, I went from five Yorkshire puddings to six Yorkshire puddings until nobody else wanted the Yorkshire puddings, so I would have all the Yorkshire puddings, all that was left. Uh, I remember these things. And when I was in Brazil, I adopted uh, the Brazilian Christmas. Uh, and the reason for that is, as a child, you get taught that you've got to wait for Christmas. You've got to wait all night. You've got to sleep in your bed. And as a, a young child, you get anxious and you think, oh, I just want to be awake. I, I want to be awake. Uh, I remember me and my brother staying awake. And one time we saw Santa Claus in the sky. At least we, we thought we did anyway. And uh, because we were anxious and waking up in the morning. But when Emerson, I spent time with him in Brazil, he said, you know what, Brazilians, we have food at Christmas Eve. At midnight, after the food, we open up all our presents. And then we lie in in the morning and we get up and we eat the rest of the food. And I thought, that's the type of Christmas that I want. Amen. You don't have to wait. You just open it now. You party and then you sleep in in the morning. And sleep is something that we, we value in our house. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 1, reading from the birth of Christ. And it came to pass in those days that the decree went out to Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. One of the things that you recognize in the scripture that Joseph and Mary had to go from one place to another place to register. There was a call out, a bit like a vote, and you had to vote in your area. They had to register. Now, I've had three lovely children here, hopefully not creating too much noise, and we've had to go off to Hammersmith and Fulham and also to Luton, which was actually quite fun this time, uh, to register our children. And here, they're on a journey. And God's been speaking to me right throughout the year. It's, it's, it's less about the moments and the events. I know in London, London is a city of the bright lights, the events, and I'm sure there'll be competition at New Year's Eve for the, the uh, entertainment out there and to go right there at the Thames. And, and there's competition. And, and, and as a young person growing up in the church, I, I want to be a part of the big picture. I want to be a, a part of the big events. But sometimes when you're a part of the big events, you miss the journey, don't you? And uh, if, if Mary and Joseph were in London... Uh, and he was, she was on a donkey. I'm sure Joseph would be, hey, hurry up, hurry up, and just kept pushing her along. Come on, let's get the tube, let's get the bus, let's get there, let's get there. That's like my family every morning when we come to church, trying to get us out of the house. And when I was single, uh, it just took me maybe half an hour 
just to get out of the house. Now it takes about three hours. Uh, and even then, we feel like we're, we're going to be, be late. And so it's a journey. Uh, and it's about the Christmas journey this morning that I want to share. Have you missed the scenery that God wants to put into your life? Because you just see Christmas as a one-day event. Uh, I would wish that Christmas and pray that Christmas would be every day. Because Christmas is a celebration about Christ. It's a celebration about the Messiah. And many people in this scripture, they missed the birth of Christ. Um, Herod wasn't interested. He was too busy being angry. He was too busy about his own royalty to be bothered that there was a royalty from heaven coming down to the earth. He completely missed it. The wise men went on a journey again and they left their home and they went to, to not miss the, the birth of what they called the prophesied Messiah. And Mary, when she received the word, immediately she said, you know what, let it be to me according to your word. She was ready to receive what God wanted to her life. I want to encourage this morning, unless you leave where you're at, you will not get to the place of prophetic fulfillment. Here, Joseph and Mary had to leave Nazareth and they had to go on a journey to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, it was prophesied that the Messiah was going to be born there. So if Joseph never, never got up from where he was going, he never moved from where he was going, if he didn't embrace the journey, he would have never got to where God wanted him to be. Now I've got some pictures on the screen here. If the guys can just show some pictures uh, of my family, because I, I've been recognizing that family life is a journey. I mean, I want my family to be perfect. Anybody got perfect family this morning? Uh, I know that the, 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 there's not really a picture of a perfect family. I mean, Mary and Joseph, not the perfect family. They're, they're not strictly married yet. And so this is us when Joel was born, pulling funny faces. Can we have the next picture? And then this is, a, this is our first day of school for Anna Joy and for Judah, looking very proud. This is part of our journey this year. The next picture, please. This was a training in righteousness down in the lower hall for Judah. And they're ready to clean up. And so we're trying at least that. Next picture. This was us in Wales in a small church, me praying. I actually was praying, but then obviously when I was taking the camera, I'd stop praying just for the photograph. But they're trying to train him in prayer. Next picture, please. This is Anna Joy taking care of Joel there. Very cute. Next picture, please. This is, this is a picture of the journey, putting him at, at the, the steadying of the ship. This is Judah down at the Cuddy Sark in London where we once had one of the staff parties. Next, please. Uh, and this is us in Brazil having a Brazilian Christmas with our Brazil tops. Next picture, please, if we can get, see if we can get up. We missed the Christmas picture. But that, I just wanted to share a little bit about our journey, a little bit about our family, a little bit about where we're going. And because I, we try to create these moments, these, these moments that are amazing, uh, but we forget that it's about the everyday things as well uh, as we go through life. I was asking myself the question this year that I wanted to go deeper in the things of God. And as I was looking at the Christmas story, I felt I, I want to I get a fresher understanding of the things that have happened here at this time. And so number one, Jesus was born a baby. Have you ever thought uh, why he was born a baby? I mean, why, why a baby? Why didn't he come as a fully-fledged man? Why didn't he come as Superman uh, on the clouds of heaven? Why didn't he come? He, he's coming a second time, like a king, to embrace the church and take us home. But why did he come? As a baby, I wanted to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, where I've been dwelling all this year. And Philippians chapter 2 talks about this, and I'll read it with you. It says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant, a coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was in heaven, and he came down. He humbled himself. He left his throne in heaven, and he humbled himself, and he became a man. I mean, what does that tell us this morning? It means that he relates to you, and he relates to me. It means that every single one of us have an opportunity to go and be with God, unless you're an alien this morning and from another planet. If everybody is a man, everybody is a woman, Jesus became human that we could live in heaven and embrace his glory. And so Jesus became a, a baby. He humbled himself. And I believe that the key as we're moving forward into the future is to embrace what I would call humility. This year, I was doing a little poem, and the poem went like this, and I shared it earlier in the year. Humility is kind of like something that you try to grasp. You're grasping it. And you're going after it. It's, it's similar to seeking obedience. I don't know if anybody's grasped obedience this morning, like Christ. I mean, Christ is the expert. He's the example. Anybody perfect? None of us are perfect. We're going forward to perfection. If you're not perfect and you're struggling with obedience, the first point of call, I believe, is humility. To humble yourself before God. Christ embraced it. So humility is something that you try to grasp. You, you grab a hold of it, and then suddenly it's like a bar of soap. You grabbed it, and they said, oh, I've got your humility. What? lost it again. And then you grab it and you lose it again. And it's something that you need to keep pursuing on a daily basis. So Jesus becoming a baby signifies to me that he embraced humility. He humbled himself and he became like one of us. He became like one of us so he could reach out to us. He became one of us because he loves us and he loves you and you're valuable to God this morning. Uh, secondly, why Bethlehem? Have you ever thought why Bethlehem? We'll turn over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, where you see the story of Joseph and, and the wise men. And if you've been reading through that, uh, in verse 4, Herod asks this question. He's asking this question because he doesn't really want to meet the Messiah. He's not really interested in the chosen one. He, he, he's kind of asking the question because he kind of, we know what happens later. He kills all the babies, so his motives are not right. But here, he, they asked a question to the chief priests. They said, when all had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written in the, by the prophet, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and not the least among the rulers of Judah, but out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so here, it says, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, not the least among the rulers. I want to propose to you this morning that God chooses the least cities. He chooses the least towns to bring about his glory. I mean, we wish that London or New York or these places would experience revival. And I'm sure there's been pockets of revival, but there hasn't really been massive uh, revival in the church. When you read church history in large cities, a lot of these revivals have been in places that nobody has ever heard about, these small places. And it seems to me that God chose Bethlehem, the least among the rulers of Judah, so he would bring about his glory. Also, if you read back into Genesis, you'll recognize that Israel was on a journey. 
Now, they didn't just reach this point. If you read the story just now, the birth of the Messiah. Wow, awesome. Well, let's look at the journey. Jacob had two wives. Now, I'm not saying you should have two wives this morning. He had Leah and he had Rachel, but he loved Rachel. He loved Rachel, but in Genesis 35, Rachel passed away. So Jacob experienced the natural pain of losing a friend. If you've ever lost a friend, if you've ever lost a family member, you would know this morning the pain that you felt, the suffering, the emotion, the difficulty, and maybe this morning some of you are experiencing that pain. But I know what Bethlehem means to me when you magnify it thousands of years later in the context of the whole Bible. It seems to me that God wants to turn your pain into glory. He wants to turn your pain into his presence. He wants to turn around your life because here, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is born in a small place called Bethlehem. So if you're in pain this morning, I pray that God would bestow on you his glory this morning. This, uh, this year we saw the painful disaster of Grenfell. And it's our prayer that God would bestow his glory in the royal borough of Kensington, Chelsea. That he would come in those estates amongst those people who had experienced pain and suffering. Also, Bethlehem is a royal city. It's the birthplace of David, the king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, you see that Samuel turns up to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, and he's choosing a future king. And remember the story how he doesn't choose the obvious people. He doesn't choose the older brothers, the good-looking ones, the handsome ones, the doctors or the lawyers or these important people. He chooses, in fact, the person he's going to choose is not even there at the moment. And so uh, in Bethlehem is the place where God chooses kings and God chooses us to do something for his glory. And so it's a significant place. It's a significant place, a painful place. It's a place where God chooses to choose. And they said it's the least among the rulers of Judah. So if you're least this morning, if you're low this morning, if you're nobody this morning, then I believe that God wants to put his hand upon your life. Amen. God wants to put his hand upon your life. And then thirdly, the barn or the manger. What does the manger signify to you this morning? What does this manger signify to you this morning? I believe that it signifies that no one is going to boast. No one is going to boast. See, there was no room for him at the inn. There was no room at the hotel, so the hotel manager couldn't boast. There were, there were, he wasn't born in a palace, so no one was putting it out there and saying, hey, there's a king in Buckingham Palace this morning. He's the Messiah. No one was going to boast. He was born in a barn, in a manger, and as Colin pointed out yesterday, he was born in a cattle trough in the worst of places. Toy was telling me this morning, she would no way even put her hands near the cattle trough. She would nowhere, no way put a baby near a cow trough. It was the least of places. He was born with creation so that creation would be saved. Amen. He was born in the dirt so that humanity would be saved. He came down to his own. He became the least that we might become first. He became human that we might become eternal. He became flesh that we might live a life of the Spirit of God. And he humbled himself and became a man. He became a man so that we could be lifted up. See, I believe that God wants to bring about what I would call barn revivals. Barn revivals. 
Revivals that happen that where they don't happen in the obvious places. They don't happen in the prestigious places. Now, I'd like God to put out a revival in politics, and I see Lyndon Barron here this morning. I'd like, you know, people to be out there having a revival, but God chooses the least places, the barns. And I'm, my thoughts this morning go to two places that experienced revival. One was Azusa Street that actually had revival meetings in 1906 in a barn in Los Angeles with a, a black man who was blind in one eye and they just got together and they had revival meetings. People gathered together. They were hungry. They were humble in themselves. They sought after God. They were in a barn. You see, when Christ was born in a barn, it means that everybody can be saved. Because if he was born in a palace, it means that only those who are in the palaces can be saved. If he was born in an important place, it means only important people can be saved. But because he was born in the lowest place, in the least place, it means that everyone from the lowest to the greatest can be saved and go to heaven. And so they saw God in this barn and suddenly God breathed on that barn and a revival spread from Azusa Street in Los Angeles right to the, the rest of the world. And that was the time where Wales was experiencing revival. And other parts of the UK and Norway was experiencing revival. And it seems just, just from a barn, just from an ignition in a barn and people gathering together in a barn, then revival came. Now, if you have an attitude this morning, I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I'm not going to be bothered. I'm not going to clean. I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to go that way. Then maybe you will not experience God. You will not experience revival. See, we're all challenged in this respect. And Christ is our example. Christ is the example of humility. He's, he humbled himself and he became a baby. He humbled himself and he was born in the least place. And he humbled himself and he was born in a trough that we would all have an opportunity to get to heaven. And I want to conclude this morning. I want to tell you about the shepherds and about the sheep around that barn. And there was a phrase this morning that was praying that the sheep are not enough. See, the shepherds that were looking after the sheep and maybe the sheep that was in that barn were those sheep that were ready for temple sacrifice. And that temple sacrifice is limited. It can forgive the sins of the law. And they would sacrifice that lamb that the people of the Old Testament would receive forgiveness of sins. But that sin was limited to the people of Jerusalem, the Jews. It was limited to Jewish people. The law was limited to Jewish people. That means that you as a Gentile and me as a Gentile didn't have the opportunity to be forgiven because of that lamb. But because Jesus became a man and he became a baby, that meant that when he came as a baby and he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day, it meant that every single person could experience that lamb of sacrifice. Jesus was that lamb and his life was broken that you could be forgiven and healed and restored. Last night we did communion. And as I said, and I had the privilege of leading that, it's a sense of sanctifying the Christmas story, sanctifying the Christmas day, sanctifying this day where we say that we're celebrating the birth of Christ. And so the sheep are not enough. Only Christ is enough. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have Christ in your life? Have you been born again? Have you been renewed on the inside? Have you experienced his forgiveness? Has your life been turned around? I want to 
encourage you with a few closing statements. Let's remember God comes down in our pain. Let's remember he became one of us. Let's remember that he came to bring us back to God. Let's remember this morning that he's not a baby anymore. Yes, he humbled himself and he became a man, but let's remember that God exalted him, King of kings and Lord of lords. And let's remember this morning that one day he's going to return. He's going to return on the clouds of heaven and everyone who believes in him, he will take home to be in heaven with God forever where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. See, if you don't bow your knee on the earth, you're not going to bow your knee in heaven. It's first bow your knee on the earth to Christ right now and then you'll have an opportunity to bow your knee on that day in heaven.